thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. Hello everybody and wherever you are in the world, it's a very warm and slightly muggy welcome to Sebring International Raceway. Good to have your company at whatever time of day it is. We're going racing this Saturday and racing, I should suspect, for the teams and particularly the drivers in the IMSA prototype challenge that has been a long time coming. They were last on track at the Raw before the 24 Daytona in the first week of January. I don't think race cars normally stand still that amount of time, do they? Let's be honest. So brushing a little bit of the dust off of the cars and probably the drivers as well. No qualifying took place yesterday because of the weather. We'll explain all that to you. When I say we, I mean our great talent for this. That's going to be Jeremy Shaw. And next, you'll hear the voice of Brian Till. The IMSA Prototype Challenge. On IMSA Radio. Part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Welcome to Sebring, Florida. Round two of the 2020 season and it seems like it was 1950 that's when they first started racing at sebring it may seem like it was that long ago to the competitors it has been 195 days without racing in the imps prototype challenge category but we are back and we are back with a vengeance here at sebring where is it well it's about an hour and a half south of orlando florida and if you're a race fan you know that this is the mecca of sports car racing in North America. Built on the old Hendricks Field, it was built in the 1940s as a B-17 bomber training base. There's a look at it. It incorporates runways, taxiways, and roadways here within the airport grounds. Turn one, very high speed. Turn seven, one of the best passing zones on the racetrack, as is over in turn 12. And Sunset Bend down the long runway into turn 17, one of the most treacherous corners that you'll find anywhere in North American racing. Welcome, everyone. I'm Brian Till, along with Jeremy Shaw. And, Jeremy, not a huge field here, but the talent is definitely deep. Yes, uh, welcome, to everybody who's joining us. It's great to be back here at Sebring International Race. We just got a glimpse there of the sky is somewhat threatening. In fact, qualifying yesterday was rained out uh, and uh, just two brief practice sessions yesterday. So a lot of these teams and drivers are pretty rusty going into this one hour and 45 minute race. And they'll set the grid because of that rain off of team championship points. So Jeremy, tell us how they'll line up. 
Yeah, there'll be 13 cars in the lineup. Then there'll be seven Ligiers and seven Normas in the in the field. Starting at the back, as we said, seven championship points. This team was not at the opening round at Daytona. Car number nine for JDC Motorsports. That's a Norma M30. Starting driver will be Jerry Kraut. Row six of the grid had problems at Daytona. Didn't even make the starting lineup, which was disappointing because they came in as one of the championship favourites. The Robillard Racing Norma M30. Car number 10 to be started by Joe Robillard, who's been very quick yesterday in practice. Uh, in the 11th position on the grid, Lance Wilsey in car number 33. That's a Sean Creech Motorsports Ligier. And now on row five of the grid, Performance Tech Motorsports, a Ligier JSP3, started by car number six in, is Dan Goldberg. Alongside him, Keith Grant in car number 40. That's a 47 Motorsports Norma M30. Row four of the grid, a pair of Ligiers. One of them, the number three car for Junior 3 Racing. That's car number three is Greg Palmer. Alongside him, driving solo, the only solo driver in this event today, is Seth Thomas in car number 11 for MG1 Motorsports. Row three of the grid is the Ligier car number 60. Wolver Racing, that's Bruce Hamilton. Alongside him, the Norma M30 for Gilbert Courtoff Motorsports. Car number 23 is John Brownson. Row two of the grid. Cameron Castles for Performance Tech Motorsports. That's another Ligier in car number 75. Alongside him, the similar car making his debut in this championship in car number 54 for MLT Motorsports is Dominic Cicero. Onto the front row of the grid. Having finished second in the opening round at Daytona for MG1 Motorsports, that's the Norma M30. Car number 64 is Naveen Rao. And on the pole position, the race winner at Daytona, also the winner of the Sebring Michelin Encore at the end of last season for 47 Motorsports, another Norma M30 veteran driver from the, the Keys in Florida. In car number 47 is Joel Janko. He is our pole sitter. Talk about the grid being of team championship points and Joel Jenko along with Jonathan George had that great win at Daytona and some very treacherous conditions there wet to start the race and then dried out if you're a fan of sports car racing then you're certainly knowledgeable about the Sebring International Raceway and you'll notice that the cars rolled off a pit lane that you're not used to seeing in IMSA competition and that is the back straight pits here at Sebring that was built for the World Endurance Championship when they ran the doubleheader weekend with IMSA and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So they rolled out of that pit lane, then down the front straightaway. Pit stops, that's where you'll see them take place as well on that back pit. 40-minute minimum drive time for these drivers and 105-second minimum pit stop time from the time they cross the line at pit in until they cross the line at pit out. So they can take their time, make sure that they've got everything done, no hurry on those pit stops, but you want to get them buckled up, you want to get them sorted out and get back on the racetrack. And it's going to be interesting, Jeremy, weather could play a factor in this race, not just because of rain tires or not in slick track conditions, but the teams I've talked to could go 50 to 55 minutes on fuel. If you do it in 50 minutes, you may need a splash at the end. If you can go 55 on each net, should be good, you go just stop. Yeah, you're exactly right, Brian. Strategy is going to be very, very important in this race, no question about it, because uh, there's, it's, most of these, well, they're all pro-AM driver lineups pretty much. Uh, certainly there is a, uh, an AM in each of the cars. Some of the pros have to limiting a limited amount of experience, others have much more experience, but there's certainly a discrepancy in the lap times between each of the drivers in all of the cars. So you want to get your quick driver in for as long as possible, but as you say, you don't want him to be short of fuel in the latter stages. So strategy is going to be very, very important.
Well, and lap time comes with burning fuel. You've got to feed those 450 ponies that are in the back. So the faster you go, the more fuel you burn lights out on the Cadillac pace car as he dips in at turn 16. The field lined up, ready to go. All the bronze drivers are the starting drivers. By rule, you must start your bronze driver, Joel Janko, in that black, orange, and white number 47 alongside him Devine Rao in the 64 Rao a great job at Daytona under some very difficult conditions dry here for the start and the field looks well lined up as they roll onto the front straightaway looking for the green begin to pick up the pace and Jenko with a good jump green flag's going to wave and we're racing at Sebring great jump there by Joel Janko 71 years of age is Joel Janko you certainly wouldn't know he's just hugely enthusiastic and a heck of a driver as well but the green route looks to the inside there at turn one Brian he wasn't able to make that stick it is Joel Janko will lead off towards turn two no, but Naveen Rao definitely thought about it, Jeremy. Looked at the gap and said, hey, I think I'm going to take it. You see the 23, the black and red 23. Uh, Brownson, aggressive move there in turn three. He picks up a position as well. It's a battles already here. You wonder if these drivers are thinking, hey, let's get some track position now while we've got a good dry racetrack because that rain could be coming. And right now, Naveen Rao with a good, powerful move under braking gets past Janko in the hairpin. Wasn't it their textbook here? He was he was uh, sensibly patient at the first corner, didn't push the issue, but then he saw an opportunity down the inside when Joel Janko, a little bit more conservative under braking for the hairpin, and now Naveen Rao slips through nicely on the inside. As you say, he did a fantastic job in the rain at Daytona. He, I'm sure he was uh, he was hoping for rain here today. Some of the drivers are hoping for rain, others not so much. But uh, that was a very good, uh, perfect maneuver there from Naveen Rao. He's he who leads in car number 64. I'm not sure you can actually measure Naveen Rao's IQ, probably, when you look at the number of degrees that he has, Jeremy. And he's a thinker, and that's exactly what he did, is it not? He went down into turn one, he had a look, kind of analyzed the data, and then said, I think I'm going to be better than he is under brakes. And down in the hairpin in turn seven, just made the move and made it stick. Yeah, that's right. I'm, not, I'm never going to doubt anything that Ian Rao says. I mean, a PhD in computational neuroscience. I mean, I don't even know what it is, quite frankly. <laughs> he was former uh, head of artificial intelligence at Intel. I mean, like, this is one clever guy, but he's a fast racing driver as well, looking at him moving out in the fr at the front of the field. They're looking to move down the uh, inside is Cameron Castles. They're trying to make a move for the third position. Trying to get past Dominic Cicero. They are in the 54, and Cicero, not well experienced in these LMP3 cars, a very experienced race car driver, but not a lot of time in these cars. And right now, he's beginning to move backwards as these drivers who have been in this series, Bronson, also Thomas, you saw him go by. Sharing that car this weekend with Dakota Dickerson is Dominic Cicero, and the reason that he is is because the regular co-driver in that 54 Dakota Dickerson's regular co-driver, Dean Baker. Travel restrictions to and from Canada really kept him from this race, so they brought Dominic Cicero in, who raced with Dakota Dickerson and against him in the Formula 3 series, known as Formula R now, FR in America. Very experienced in higher horsepower downforce cars, but once again, Jeremy, this is a different ball game. Yeah, it certainly is. And Dominic, uh, he was a former winner back in 1998 of the Winfield Pilot Elf Award Scheme for young drivers in France. So he's been around this for a long, long time, Dominic. But as you say, out of kind of top class racing for quite a long time. 
and uh, he has driven i believe an lmp3 car during some track days he's based i believe at uh, the thermal racetrack in southern california does a lot of driving a lot of different cars this is his first race in one of these cars for dominic cicero in car number uh, 54 and doing a nice sensible job there in the early lap well you talk about sensible the other thing that dominic cicero knows is he's got the common sense to understand he's just filling in for dean baker and he knows he needs to have a car to hand over to dakota dickerson on that pit stop. So right now he wants to keep the car in one piece. If he loses a couple of positions, yellows can bring that back. Just stay cool, stay calm, stay collected. He's a very experienced driver coach. So he's probably coaching himself right now saying, just make sure you've got a car to hand over to your teammate. He's the one that's in the championship hunt. That's exactly right. And Dakota Dickerson with Dean Baker finished third in the open round at Daytona. So yeah, yeah, well placed in the points. Only six rounds in this championship. So uh, yeah, one DNF can be very, very costly, as, of course, Joe Robillard and Stephen McAleer found out to their cost at Daytona. Weren't even able to make the start, had a, a engine problems, yeah, and fuel, fuel system problems, basically, in the uh, before the race. Weren't able to take the start. Joe Robillard yesterday, in that's uh, the car number... At 10 that started towards the back of the field or started in the, in the, in the, on the final row of the grid but the, yesterday no laps showed up for that car that's because the transponder wasn't working in fact uh, both drivers both Joe Robillard and Stephen McAleer were out there and both turning very very good laps indeed I spoke this morning with Stephen McAleer and Joe Robillard he was super fast he was on it and he's very pumped for this race even though he has to start from the back well, in talking with his co-driver, Stephen McAleer, he said he that Robillard was so quick, they expected him to have a good shot at the pole. The, the bronze drivers are the ones who qualify. Once again, qualifying didn't happen. But he said, this car is good, and, and Robillard, Joe, is hooked up and ready to go. Another car hooked up was the 40. Keith Grant behind the wheel right now, and I spoke to them this morning. They, too, said, hey, we're so upset that qualifying got rained out because we've got a good car. And you saw Keith Grant moving forward. I think he's gotten past John Brownson. He's on his way forward in the 40, beginning to press Cameron Castles in that blue and yellow number 75. Castles picking up a couple of positions from the drop of the green. You're right, that number 40 car of the brothers, Keith and David Grant, that's another car that had problems at Daytona. So uh, that, that's where they started down in the ninth position. And as you say, it's uh, it's it's Keith now who is at the wheel of that car. Keith is the uh, the slightly older brother, and he's bringing that car through the field up into the top five. Naveen Rao leading at Sebring round two of IMSA Prototype Challenge competition. Good battles throughout the field. Rao with a six-point margin, or a six-second margin, I should say, over Joel Janko. The black and orange number 47 that comes to the shot and a big hit for the 60. I believe that may be down in turn 16, 17 area. Hard impact with the wall. That'll bring out a full course caution. And that's unfortunate. You're right there off at uh, Sunset Bend there, turn 17. That brings our first full course caution of the day. This is a one hour and 45 minute race. Safety car will be deployed now. Let's have a look, see, we, see if we can see what happened to Bruce. Looks like there he was challenging. I think that was with uh, John Brownson, most likely. He was challenging there, and he was on the outside, and uh, the car goes around and into pretty heavily into that tire barrier. The good news is that tire barrier 
uh, it does absorb a lot of the impact, Brian. So uh, hopefully uh, the damage won't be too bad. I can't know if he's going to be able to continue. Probably not. But that's certainly an unfortunate day for Bruce Hamilton. And Tony Kazimitz, who is his vastly experienced road driver, was really looking forward to the latter stages of this race. The group comes in to 16, and just at the right corner of the shot, you'll see side by side. And I can't tell if there was contact between those two cars, but Hamilton out on the gray for sure. And you talk about the safety aspect of those tires. With them banded together the way that they are, you can see that the, the wall absorbs that impact and then moves out of the way. All that dissipates energy. That is the good news for Bruce Hamilton as he walks away from his strict stricken vehicle the bad news is he's walking away the full course caution is out for imsa prototype challenge from sebring naveen rao still out in front this may be a lengthy repair to the tire wall after bruce hamilton has his problems down in the turn 17 area here at sebring double yellows are out there's the stricken number 60 and you can see the tire wall has been moved considerably back and I think they're going to have to get a front loader out to move that wall back in place you see that gap between the two walls there and that's what helps absorbs the impact here's another look at the incident yeah, you see the two like cars just coming to yeah he was on the outside of a the car they're going into uh, into sunset bend it but it looks like I mean hard to see but that that was he was certainly on the outside uh, as they were heading toward the apex. Uh, at least the other car was heading toward the apex, and he, unfortunately, was heading towards the tyre barrier. But you're right, there's a big gap there between that, that first uh, row of tyres in, in the, on the left of the picture, the, the blue, right, and red, blue, white, and then blue again, that banded tyre well. There's about uh, 10 feet or more between that, that row of tyres, a double row of tyres, and then the next row of tyres that uh, fronts up against the concrete barrier. And the fact that 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 whole tire wall can move back such a long way, absorb just a massive amount of the impact there. That's a huge uh, safety advancement that's brought in here at Seabury International Raceway a few years ago. And that's certainly massively lessened the, the effects of that uh, high-speed accident for Bruce Hamilton. Well, it's like I was saying, with the tires banded together, that keeps them together. And then that entire mass moves to the outside absorbing the impact. I wonder if that was not the 54 car of Dominic Cicero that Hamilton was beside, but here's the problem. Turn 17 is very much a one-line racetrack. You see in WeatherTech competition, prototypes get by there, but here's a look. Let's see as they come into the corner. The last car in that shot was the six, the red and white six, and then just behind that was Dominic Cicero, and I wonder if Hamilton tries to go around the outside. Was that Dan Goldberg, actually? Maybe in kind of a six who was making a move to the inside? No, I think, um, I think Goldberg was up in, of the car. Yeah, I think Goldberg was up in front of him. He's in that red okay. and blue number six. But yeah. as they load the 60... I think I think there was another car there making a move, though, on, uh, on Bruce Hamilton as they came down into... Uh, turn 17 he was kind of hung out to dry there on the outside line as the other car we, we just as the cars are coming towards us on that initial shot you can see a car pulled to the inside kind of mid-pack which is where those two were running at the time we did that with the camera then panned away as to watch the leaders go through the corner but it looked like somebody was trying to move make a move i think on 
uh, Bruce Hamilton. So he was just kind of caught out there on the wrong side, and uh, he he is uh, made heavy contact with that tire barrier. Well, the uh, hats off to the Sebring uh, team here to get that front loader in into location with a minimum of delay and try and get these tires back to where they need to be before we can get back to racing. And while that is happening, the safety crews on the other side are going to be attending to the driver and they're removing that Volvo Racing car number 60 to uh, minimize the effects of this full course caution. Well, hats off to the corner workers on the equipment that are moving the tires, but a bigger hats off to the guys standing there on the ground helping them move. Those tires have been sitting there for a long time. And Jeremy, if you know anything about Florida, there are all kinds of critters that can be in, <laughs> in those tires. And scorpions are not uncommon down here. So, uh, you know, manhandling <laughs> those tires right now. I'm not sure it's something that I would want to be doing. They're manhandling the 60, drawing them up onto the, the record. Now, let's take a look. The three cars that are coming into your shot right now, the last of the three is the red and blue number six and then i'm just kind of looking at the cars lined up behind the six right now on timing and scoring i could see the battle start to take place behind him and as they come into the shot there it is the white purple and orange car that is side by side it looks like and that's the 54 i believe came in there it's just so difficult to see as the cars are starting to go away but the 54 is definitely orange white and purple and so that may be dominic cicero that uh they were having the conversation with or discussion with about getting side by side through turn 17 here but the other thing about 17 it is incredibly bumpy and if you get out there wide it's very difficult to control the car controlling the cars right now Cadillac safety car out in front lights on as the crews continue to work on repairing the barriers in turn 17 first full course caution clock continues to run an hour and 45 minute race with 131 yet to go and they are making headway on the wall pretty quickly there that's the other nice thing about banded tires Jeremy is they don't get thrown everywhere the band just kind of gets pushed back and then you can get that front loader behind it in that space and get them pushed back on to the track pretty quickly, lined up where they need to be. It leaves the space again in case there's another incident down there. That wall repair takes place pretty quickly. So up in the top of the shot, let's take a look one more time. And this is interesting because I see the 54 car is on his own. It's the 6 and then the 54. He seems to be on his own. Yeah, I wonder. I think it's Jerry Kraut who was making a move there in the number uh, nine car. Jerry started uh, at the back in that uh, JDC Motorsports car number nine, a Norma chassis, and he started at the back because he did not that car did not compete at Daytona in the opening round of the championship. So he was kind of mo moving his way forward. Jerry was, and I think it was Jerry Kraut who was perhaps making a move there on Bruce Hamilton as they headed down into Sunset Bend. All conjecture, I must admit, uh, not really no, I... relevant. I don't, uh, not, <laughs> certainly not apportioning any blame there to anybody, uh, and, and really unfortunate. But uh, the, it's certainly unfortunate also for Naveen Rao, who uh, pulled out to a, a lead of uh, well over six seconds in those first three laps of racing before the field was caught, uh, called back under yellow. I think you're right, Jeremy. And looking at that long shot one more time, what you realize is Dominic Cicero is in front of that by several car lengths. But when it comes into that other shot, 
that's the car that it appears that uh, Hamilton is involved with because you don't see Jerry Kraut come into that picture because the camera swings with the 60 as it heads towards the wall. So perhaps, indeed, it was the number nine. And as you said, Naveen Rao now out in front of the 64. The good thing is this should eliminate any question about fuel because these cars burn very, very little fuel behind the safety car. So this is going to give you that opportunity to get to within 50 minutes of the checkered flag, do that driver change, get your guy in, the, the gunslinger that you have, and see if that silver driver or your faster driver is usually who they put in as the second driver can get you home to the checkered flag. So fuel, I wouldn't think, should be a concern at all now. No, that's that's true. That, that'll alleviate that problem. And uh, that, that's the good news, certainly, but uh, certainly bad news to see that car out of the race because... Uh, Tony Skazimitz here, he's a star. Uh, he's uh, he's a, a top-class driver. He's been around for a long, long time. Interesting note I saw about uh, Tony's. His, his daughter is part of the, well, she's trying to get on the U.S. swim team. She's a very accomplished swimmer up in Illinois and had some success, I think, fairly recently. But uh, Tony's was looking to sort of emulate that himself back at the Real Race Car for a lot, after a long time out. He's also a very accomplished driver coach as well, is Tony's. Uh, and he was so excited, I think, about you know, getting ready for this race here today. So it's a shame that he won't be able to to be a part of it. What a good job that uh, that team has done there to get that tire barrier back into place. Very impressive indeed. And you talk about Casimus, he was fourth in the combined practice session. So the 60 had good speed in it. Obviously, it does not anymore, at least not until it's repaired and put back on the racetrack. But we won't see that here. We'll have to wait until Road America, which is the next round coming up for the IMSA Prototype Challenge category. Should be great to see these cars on that racetrack, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's a super little championship, this one. These cars, uh, they are relatively inexpensive to run. They, 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 they are tend to be pretty reliable uh, that there's not you know, they're not too trick they are a, a, a car that can be prepared by you know just a, a, a small team of people that knows exactly what they're doing of course but uh, it's a very cost-effective category and it's it's a really good series that it gives people an opportunity to get into a proper prototype car I mean these are based on, on LMP2 cars which is pretty much the same as DPI cars these days in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship so it gives them a great opportunity if they're looking to make a future for themselves in international sports car racing then this is a great way into the sport for them safety crews done an excellent job the stricken 60 off the racetrack tire wall has been repaired and we should be ready to go racing lights out on the safety car We'll be back to Green Flag from Sebring, the IMSA Prototype Challenge, in just a moment. It'll be Naveen Rao who brings the field back to green, lights out on the Cadillac safety car. It's still a nice dry racetrack. All those skies are threatening. And as we've talked about, fuel mileage could, should not be a concern now with this yellow question that I have, the pit stop is pretty long. It's 105 seconds from pit in to pit out. There's been very little wear placed on these tires. And what I'm interested to see, Jeremy, when we do make the pit stop, minimum drive time is 40 minutes, of course, so we don't expect to see them for a while. It'll be interesting to see if tires are an issue and if teams elect to change them or not, or if they'll stay with the tires that are on there. You should have time to get them done. And all the teams say that's not an issue, but 
if you now kind of change your fuel strategy and think that you're going to have enough to make it, you may not have as long a fill. And without as long a fill, you don't want to be waiting on tires. You still need to do that minimum 105 second stop. But it'd be interesting to see if anybody doubles its tires. Well, yeah, you know, and what's also interesting is you know, that behind the, this uh, this Cadillac uh, CTSV uh, safety car, the la lap time last round was three minutes forty-five. Uh, a quick lap around here is in sort of low two minutes. The minimum pit stop time is what, 105 seconds, isn't it? So that's uh, one minute. Uh, one minute 40 so i was wondering whether anybody could come in take on take on some fuel now which would mean they would need less fuel on the next stop they might be making an extra pit stop but could they make that stop uh, and get out there and get around to the back of the field so they would need less fuel uh, next time around and you know, might might throw some strategic options out there but uh, there's not quite enough time to do that plus anytime you do take on fuel it is that minimum time you can make a pit stop for other reasons and it does not have to be that one minute uh, 105 seconds minimum if you, ch if you uh, anything with fuel involved that's the time to pit stop back to green Back to green, Naveen Rao with a huge jump in the number 64 and a good battle behind Cameron Castles in the blue and yellow, number 75, in a battle with Joel Janko in the 47 from 47 Motorsport. But you better look in the mirror because right behind him, the team car to Janko, the 40, Keith Grant, we talked about them feeling like they had a very good race car underneath them, and they definitely do. That 40 has marched to the front. Good battles throughout. Yeah, Dan Goldberg looking to make a move. Yeah, Dan Goldberg yep. making, make, looking to make a move in that number six car for Performance Tech Motorsports. He's got a new co-driver this weekend. Uh, uh, Blake Mount, who was the regular driver uh, for the season, as we see uh, looking to the inside. That's another of the uh, 47 Motorsports entry. That is car number 40. That is Keith Grant looking, uh, making a pass there to move up into third place ahead of Cameron Castles. But uh, Blake uh, Blake Mount, uh, he was he's not here this weekend. As we see Cameron Castles here trying to redress that balance. Blake Mount was he was uh, exposed to somebody who has COVID-19 fairly recently. So he, he's elected not to make the trip here this weekend, uh, and instead uh, it is uh, stepping in to that car alongside him is is Rasmus Lind from Sweden, a youngster who's been a bit of a star on the road to Indy these last few years. This will be his first uh, prototype outing this in this race in Carnival 6. So Dan Goldberg, he knows he's pretty quick. He's got a lot of experience in the, the old IMSA Lights prototype, prototype Lights Championship that preceded the LMP3 cars. But he's kind of making his return to this sort of level of racing after several years away from it in that car number six. That's Dan Goldberg. Well, he, he's letting his return be known. The move that he just put on Stephen Thomas in the 11 was powerful, and that was over in the turn 12 area. And, and you've got to be aggressive, and you've got to make it stick. And that's exactly what Goldberg did there in the number six car. That was an impressive move on the 11. Now he is marching his way forward. Next in his sights, John Brownson in the 23. And right there in turn one, Goldberg takes the look. He got balked a little bit. That's going to allow Thomas, I think, to close back on the rear wing a little bit. This is pretty tight, isn't it? All the way down the field here. Uh, everybody is staying in, in pretty tight formation, all, all the top 10. Just the the last couple of guys, uh, Lance Wills, he's fallen off just a, just a little bit from 
uh, from Joe Robillard. And Greg Palmer bringing up the tail of the field. He's just turned his best lap of the race in that Junior 3 race in car number 3. Now, if you think the two cars that are just going out of your shot look similar, well, they are, the 47 and the 40. They're both from 47 Motorsports. So, in other words, they're teammates. And the question, Jeremy, is how hard are teammates going to race each other? We're not after yeah. manufacturer's championships or anything like that here. It's all about you and your co-driver. So what do we expect to see? Keith Grant has been on a tear. He has, and uh, he's got a point to prove, particularly after having that problem in the opening round at Daytona. He wants to make up championship ground here, uh, and uh, that's exactly what he's doing by making his moves in the early stages. There's Dan Goldberg looking at the inside there, looking to make a move on John Brownson. But John Brownson, boy, it took about Mr. Experience. This is John Brownson. He's from Breckenridge, Colorado. In, this, in the LMP3 series, and going back to the old uh, Prototype Lights Championship, a total of 129 starts for John Brownson, by far the most experienced driver at this level of racing in this field. Goldberg was trying to duplicate the move that he had put on Thomas the lap before over there in turn 12. He likes that area of the racetrack, but I've seen some telltale smoke, I believe, out of the left rear of the 40 of Keith Grant, the second orange and black car in your shot. I just watched them through the 13, 14, 15 complex, and occasionally I'll see some smoke. Oh, wow. Did you see Goldberg in that blue and red number six down on the inside there in turn 17? The car almost off the ground. That just gives you an idea of why people say respect the bumps here at Sebring. Cameron Castles right there on the rear wing in that blue and yellow 75. Castles doing double duty this weekend. Also in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And I'm just going to keep a real close eye on the 40 just in front of him to see if I see any more of that smoke. To me, it looked like it could be some body rub on the tire take a look in the back of your shot here look at the six card on the inside wow yeah this is a great battle isn't it all the way there from uh, from second place all the way down to to uh, to tenth they're pretty much nose to tail right now uh, naveen rao of course is checking out at the front of the field 4.7 seconds the the gap from first to second as they completed this lap but the rest of the field there with joe robillard uh, frustratingly at the back of that pack as we look at once again then now this is a move there on number six by them that would be the number 11 that's seth thomas who's uh, come along leaps and bounds since daytona he's showed really really good pace this week oh this is good stuff we've seen back and forth over this last lap the six of goldberg gets the pass on brownson he did it a lap ago then brownson took it back and now they're side by side this is a tough area to do this successfully and it's going to slow you down as you wow. get to the back straightaway. <laughs> Great stuff. Fenders are good, but I mean, this is at well over 100 miles an hour. And now Goldberg's gotten through and gotten that taken care of. But this went through several corners of the last lap. Look at how close this is. That's so cool. Really great driving. Good, respectful driving from both of those two, giving each other room uh, and uh, each one trying to make a move on the other. And oops! Oh, and Bronson goes around in the 23, and Thomas almost collected him. He's gotten into the wall, but I'm not sure there's any damage to the car at all. If he can get that refired and get it out of the way, perhaps rejoin. Yep, there he goes. Uh, just these guys fighting hard and you see the 11 to the 
inside, and I think Brownson just trying to carry too much speed on the way in, maybe gets on the brakes a little bit, gets some weight to the nose, and the rear end just steps out. That is one of the most difficult corners in North America, I think, Jeremy. Yeah, no no argument with you there, Brian. That was a... Uh... He just, just the car just got away from him, but uh, it's tremendous on the limit driving there, and, and uh, in his case, over the limit just a little bit. He's not known as Mr. Excitement for nothing, is John Brownson. But the good news is that you know the cars, when they're sliding sideways like that, they will scrub off an awful lot of speed. And luckily for him, that's exactly what it did before it made very light contact with that with that tire barrier. So. With a bit of luck, he should be okay, I would say, for John Brownson. We see this battle for second and third heating up and closing on them, still so right with them at least, is, Dom, is uh, Cameron Castles in car number 75, that, uh, the blue and yellow car. Well, Keith Grant is through. He's gotten past Joel Janko. That answered the question about teammates, and it was a pretty powerful move down under breaking zone. I think Janko just being completely respectful of that and just saying once again remember i've got a teammate i need to turn this car over to and by the way we're leading the championship i'm not throwing anything away by being hard-headed at this stage of the race so and keith grant as you said wanting to make amends for some of the issues that they had at daytona look at this very decisive oh, the little lock up on the rear end there under braking getting the downshifts done but through yeah, and now it's all Nice pass. Yeah, he's going to check out now. At least that's his plan. And uh, a really good pass. Uh, textbook driving from uh, Keith Grant. A lot of experience, but primarily in uh, Formula Atlantic cars. He's won a couple of championships. He and his brother have kind of dominated. There's a sort of a semi-professional Atlantic championship these days, which he and his brother uh, David have done for, for many, many years. So, uh, you know, he's got lots of experience in in, uh, in, in cars with, with good downforce, such as these LMP3 cars. Now Dan Goldberg has joined the fight. He's up on the rear wing of Cameron Castles, and Castles needs to focus forward, but that's hard to do when you've got this annoyance in your mirror of that red and blue number six behind. And what Dan Goldberg has showed me today is that he is not shy about being forceful and working his way in. And remember, he's going to hand that car over to Rasmus Lind that you were talking about. Lind with a problem in practice yesterday. Uh, in the six, had a spin and some contact with the tire wall there in six. But when you're 19 years old, you're a lot braver than, well, I won't say our age, Jeremy, but the braver than you and I would be in that car. But his teammate, Dan Goldberg, really starting to put the pressure on Castles. And I think Cameron Castles is going to have to turn his attention as much behind him as he is in front of him, Jeremy. Yeah, these two also teammates. So we saw the two... Uh, teammates from 47 Motorsports batting away a few laps ago with Joel Janko and uh, Keith Grant. These two are perf performance tech Motorsports, Cameron Castles in number 75 car and Dan Goldberg in car number six. So they're very, very equally matched cars. These are two Ligiers. The 47 Motorsports entries are both uh, Normas, which tend to be pretty fleet on the straights. But uh, the two Ligiers are hanging, hanging together and putting the pressure on Joel Janko. And hats off to Joel Janko. I mean, gosh, what a job he's doing. It, uh, you'd never know he's, he's, he's in, well into his 70s. He's just a uh, tremendous character, and he's driving absolutely beautifully right now. He's had two wins in succession, one here, as we see. There's a move to the inside for Cameron Castles. But still, hats off there for Joel Janko. I think he may bring Dan Goldberg with him as Janko kind of gets pushed to the outside. But now it's side by side. 
down to turn one and a big impact. You see the 11, that's down in turn 17 at the exit. And we were just talking about how good these guys had been running, trouble-free side-by-side, but perhaps the bumps got to Stephen Thomas. Big impact, and that's going to bring out another full-course caution. An hour and 13 minutes to go. And was the Joel 47 Janko, involved? As well. well. He couldn't have been involved in that. No, that was, that was a turn one. He's, he's, he's had the incident, yeah. I think. I think our attention got turned back to the 11 of Stephen Thomas. Some impact there. That must have been the contact with the six that caused it. But you can see the 11 in the background of Stephen Thomas with the big contact at the exit of 17. Right. And I think maybe this side-by-side -side rub here is what does some damage to the right rear of Joel Jenko's number 47. Yeah, we saw there that the uh, that number 11 car just ran wide at the exit of turn 17 and uh, pretty, pretty, pretty heavy contact with that tire barrier there. But the incident for, for Joel Janko was that was downturn when I don't I don't think that side by side would have caused that amount of damage. I fancy perhaps something else happened when they got down to turn one. So take a look and see. There's yeah, that little push coming onto the straightaway and it looks like for Thomas, nudge, he just gets a little a little push. The car just pushes to the outside as he comes off the corner and just runs a little bit wide. Ah, there's yeah, what there happened in turn one. Exactly. Yep. He, he and Dan Gilbo trying to go through there side by side. And Joel Jacker does a, a spin there. Can he turn it into a spin and win? That was a very scary moment. Did a great job to get it back under control and bring it around. But clearly there is some uh, right rear damped bodywork, I think, rubbing on that Michelin tire on the, the left rear corner of Joel Janko's car. That would have been a scary moment. Absolutely. Turn one, one of the fastest corners on this racetrack, if not the fastest. And the track narrows up at the exit. That's the other issue. So let's try to track this again. See Stephen Thomas with his problem in the background. And Jenko and Goldberg are going to get down to turn one side by side. First, there's the little bump there. There's Thomas's problem in the background. And then that battle with Goldberg and Jenko continues down into turn one. There's Thomas. It just looks like he loses something in the front end. The front end just gives up all of a sudden and into the wall. He goes, great job by Lance Wilsey coming by in the 33 to miss him. And it looks to me, Jeremy, like perhaps the six of Goldberg just gets into the left rear and, and pushes Joel Janko well, look, around as they're in the middle of the corner. I mean, they were side by side all the way down the front straight and they went side by side into turn one. Uh, as a result, of, we saw the contact they made on the exit of, of uh, turn 17 and heading off down the front straight across the start finish line into the braking area for turn one. I think they were side by side all the way there. Uh, and uh, when they got to turn one, the car number six for of uh, Dan Goldberg, he was on the inside line. So that's definitely the preferred line through turn one. I think Joel Janko tried to brave it around the outside, which is uh, a risky move. And it was he that ended up spinning and is now uh, going to be at the back of the pack. You may very well be correct. There's what it looks like. And perhaps, oh, well, oh, no, actually, it's, did Goldberg slide up and into him a little bit? Because yeah, obviously Joel Janko yeah. was a, a half a car or three quarters of a car in front. Contact was right front to left rear. I, I agree with you. Looking at that, uh, that that vantage point there, it certainly seemed that the uh, 
number 47 car was ahead, uh, at least nosing ahead going into that corner. So that was uh, that was a very unfortunate incident all around. Long way to go for Stephen Thomas to get his damage number 11 back to the pit lane, which is on the back straight here at Sebring this weekend. And the full course caution is out. Crews will get this sorted, get things cleaned up, and we'll get back to racing. Round two of IMSA Prototype Challenge competition for the 2020 season. Seems strange to say that in the middle of July, but that's what it is, and there's more to come from Sebring. That was a big impact, and once again, the way tire walls are set up here at Sebring really is... Uh, a safer racetrack as you will find Stephen Thomas found that out at the exit of turn 17 as he came on to the front straightaway that lap and it just looked to me like something gave up in the front end obviously the left front tire is down right now on the 11 Jeremy but it was just kind of strange the way it it left the surface there the racing line it just kind of moved out to the outside like perhaps the grip goes away take a look in the background He's online, well, and then all of a sudden he isn't. True. I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's a little bit dirty offline there. Okay, it's not very long into this race. Uh, but uh, it's very easy, as we all know, uh, uh, who've, who've done any driving at all at Sebring, how easy it is to get offline there at, on the exit of turn 17. I mean, the, the, the bumps there, just the car's thrown around all over the place. You, you often see pictures of if not all four wheels off the ground, pretty darn close to it. And it's very rare that all four uh, Michelin tires are in contact with the, with, the, uh, with the concrete there all the way through that corner. So the car is always sliding the bumps through the, the slide off even more. And it's very easy. We've seen it numerous times in the past. Uh, drivers with a lot more experience than people like uh, Seth Thomas have, have uh, got, got a bit, little bit wide there and the car just undersears and, uh, and hits the wall and you know, you're in trouble from there. A long drive around for Stephen Thomas, the only driver doing this race on his own. Now, if you're thinking back to last year, in the 2019 season, we saw drivers do it on their own multiple times, including Stephen McAleer, who won here for Robillard Racing. He did it solo. That's no longer allowed for any driver other than bronze-level drivers. So that's why you see Stephen Thomas out there and no one else doing it right now. That's why Stephen McAleer can't do it. But we also talk about the bumps at this racetrack and we were mentioning Stephen McAleer how bumpy is it remember last year he broke a tooth off from biting down so hard going over the bumps here at Sebring and it gives you an idea of just how brutal this racetrack is when people say respect the bumps looking out over the the racetrack here you can see that it's an airport circuit built on that 1940s bomber base and these sections of concrete here that make up areas of the racetrack like the front straightaway and the back straightaway they're about 10 foot square and i've been told they're anywhere between six and eight maybe even 10 feet deep so they're giant concrete blocks and they have to be that big because of the sand foundation upon which they sit but those blocks do move and kind of give a little bit from time to time because of the weather and when they do, it creates the bumps, and it's very difficult to come in and grind them and get them smooth. And you have some drivers, they've grinded or they've ground the place in the past, and you've had some drivers go, no, that's the personality of this racetrack. Don't change it. Those are the drivers who are successful and have cars that work well over the bumps, Jeremy. <laughs> I think there are other ones who would like it smoothed out a little bit. 
Fair comment. I mean, there's calls every now and again from people who really don't know this place. Or why don't you just pave it with asphalt all the way around and make it smooth? Then it wouldn't be Sebring. That's the whole point of this place, really. It's just a different challenge. It's not a cookie. This is not a cookie cutter racetrack, is it? Sebring International Raceway, and that is why it is so beloved. Uh, yes, it's rough. It's rough on everybody. It's a, it's it's a, it's it's it, on physically. It's really demanding around here on the cars and the drivers. But that is why it's Sebring International Raceway. That is why it is such an iconic race racetrack, and it's why also everybody loves this place. Well, the bumps may have claimed another victim as Stephen Thomas brings the number 11 onto pit road. Finally got back around. Safety crews have already repaired the tire wall where the impact was and the lights are off on the Cadillac safety car. We'll be going back to green in IPSA prototype challenge competition in just about half a lap. Just before that full course caution, our race leader, Naveen Rao, set a new fastest lap of the race at 2 minutes 1.576 for, uh, for Naveen. He uh, opened up a, a gap of uh, uh, seven or eight seconds, five or six seconds over the number 40 car, Keith Grant, in second place. On that lap before we went green, uh, it was a, I think it was a new best lap for, for Keith, but uh, his best lap so far has been a 202.8. So Naveen Rao, he's the only one in the 201-minute uh, bracket. The only guys in the 202 is a Keith Grant. And Dominic Cicero, who's now up into fifth place in car number 54, he doesn't have much experience at all around here in this car. So he uh, was very sensible at the start, slipped back down the order. He started in the third position, fell as low as ninth. But now, as a result of making a couple of passes and some incidents of other cars, he is up, back up into the top five as we pit, see pit stops for a couple of the contenders. And we are, we are 40 minutes into the race, so it, the, the pits are open, uh, and not only are the pits open, but uh, the minimum drive time now has, I think, been met by a couple of these teams coming onto pit lane. One of them was Lance Wilsey. I think Jerry Kraut was in in car number nine and car number, th uh, uh, and number 33. Just those two. Lance Wilsey will hand over this car to uh, Bud Grostenbacher, who's making his debut this weekend. Uh, Jerry Kraut, meanwhile, he will hand it over to Scott Andrews, who is very, very fast. And uh, Scott Andrews, Australian-born, but based in Florida nowadays, he has uh, set the fastest time in practice. We get back to Reed. Green flag flies again at Sebring for IMSA Prototype Challenge competition. Naveen Rao out in front as he has been since the drop of the green. But he had to endure the original start and now two restarts. Second of the full course cautions now gone and we're back to green flag racing. Naveen Rao and his teammate Matthew Bell fastest in the practice sessions. Had a great run in the opening round at Daytona where they finished second. And they've got this car working underneath them. That Norma chassis really coming to life in the hands of these two drivers. And they have been spectacular all weekend long. Naveen Rao checking out. Really hasn't learned about television and racing, obviously, because, Jeremy, he left our shot. He was so far out in front, we didn't get a chance to talk about him. No, very impressive, Naveen. He's really done a super job in this race. And for those two teams making the pit stops, uh, so, so the, the number nine car, that's the most significant of those two in terms of the overall running here, uh, I believe, with, with no good all due respect. But so Scott Andrews now, he's going to have to do a full hour 
at the wheel of this car. He's going to be at the back of the pack because this, they will be taking on fuel now and making that driver change. So he'll re rejoin a long, long way back from everybody else. But I think he will still be on the lead lap here. He comes now at, at pit exit. This will be Scott Andrews, I believe, at the wheel of this car. But he's going to, I think he's probably going to need another full course caution in order to be able to get to the end of this race without making another fuel stop. And even if he only needs a minimum amount, amount of fuel at that extra stop, it's still going to be the minimum of 105 seconds. Uh, it doesn't, it, if you take on half a gallon or a full tank of fuel, it's the same minimum pit, pit stop time. So that strategy is pretty interesting for that number 19. Absolutely. 55 minutes is the absolute most we heard that you could go on a tank of fuel in one of these prototype challenge vehicles, the LMP3 based machine. So I'm looking at some of these cars who have come in and they either have a strategy, an alternative strategy that they think is going to work, or they were worried about losing too much position when we went back to green. But I don't know why you do that. You see the number six and the front end, they're really beginning to shake on that car. It's the car that had the contact with Joel Janko and obviously some damage to the attachments for the nose for the number six. Dan Goldberg now has his hands full and at high speed when the aerodynamics and the air really starts to rush over that car, it's beginning to upset the front end quite substantially. Yeah, uh, and the, the other potential option here, oh, 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 that's really shaking around, isn't it? The, uh, the, for the number nine team, uh, the other potential strategy would be just to top up the fuel there for Jerry Kraut uh, so that when when they make their next next pit stop to hand over to Scott Anderson, because Jerry Kraut has still shown the wheel of that car. I think what's happened here is they've, take, they've made their fuel stop now. Scott Andrews, is going, it, they still have to make another pit stop to hand over to Scott Andrews, but they potentially will not need to take on fuel at that pit stop. So it'll be a much shorter pit stop than everybody else is having to make. So this is a really interesting uh, strategic call by JDC Miller, JDC Miller Motorsports, I believe. That's an interesting concept. I hadn't thought about that, Jeremy, but I think you're exactly right. But I'm still looking at the nose on the six for Dan Goldberg. And if they're going to go for another five minutes, obviously they're going to have to repair it on the stop. But if they're going to go for another five minutes, I'm not sure it's going to stay together. These cars aren't designed to do this. That's the Watusi. That's shaking an awful lot. Uh, <laughs> and that, you know, it, that car's made side-by-side uh, -side contact with with another car earlier on. I wonder whether it's that or whether it's just some sort of frequency. That's really bizarre. And I think we did see there uh, Naveen Rao, yes, peeling into pit lane. So he, he, this is the, the full stop then for the number 6014. Naveen Rao, he will hand over that number 64 car to Matt Bell, the Englishman. And this is I a... Think Matt uh, Bell's going to have to save some fuel when he goes back out there. When you look at that, there are going to be 57 minutes or so when he gets back on the racetrack. And I think that damage or the, that shake that we're seeing probably came from the when he had the contact with the 47 of Joel Janko there in turn one. I agree. Through here, it's not so bad, but it's I, I, he gets on the long straightaways and um, as the car gets over 100, 120 miles an hour or so, I think it begins to get upset. We've seen such great racing today. And if you're looking at driving a sports car and you want to get into a prototype, a high-tech prototype machine, it's the most cost-effective way you can go prototype racing in North America. It's the same P3-based cars that they race in Europe. And everyone that I spoke to this morning had a long conversation with Lance Wilsey and the 47 with a problem. 
Joel Janko around. Again, that was there at turn 17. But I was talking to Lance Wilsey and also Joe Robillard, and they said, why do we run these cars? Because they are a blast. Yeah, they're cost-effective, but they are a blast to drive. Lance Wilsey said, you know, I've got so many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of miles behind the wheel of a Porsche. Nice little lazy spin there by Joel Janko. Yeah. No harm, uh, no foul. Car, but that car had just been in the pits. So whether yep. Joel had uh, continued, whether he'd handed over that car to uh, uh, I've got to, 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 uh, to Jonathan George, I'm not, I'm not sure to prepare for us. We have to wait and see what shows up on the timing. Yeah, he's still shown as being behind the wheel. But he is. Back to what I was saying about those guys saying this is the most fun car that they've ever driven. Lance Wilsey's like, I love my Porsche and I race it everywhere. But I'm telling you, this is the most fun car I've ever driven. And Joe Robillard said, I've already ordered two new ones for when they go to the next model for next year. He said, I, I just, I love it. You can't ask for a better machine. It's a real race car, great aerodynamics, great mechanical grip, well-balanced horsepower to aero and grip ratio. No anti-lock brakes, no traction control, so you do have to kind of tighten up the belts and drive the thing. And we've seen some fantastic side-by-side -side competition today. I think the formula is right, the driver pairings are right, and it leads to great racing. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It is uh, these are exciting cars to drive, and and everybody who who, who drives them enjoys them. Lance Wilsey, who's driving the uh, number 33 car started off the race at least before handing over to uh, Ben Grossenbacher, uh, Bud Grossenbacher. Lance originally bought one of these cars just to do some some training effectively for what he anticipated as being a program in GTD in the IMSA Weather Tech Sports Car Championship. But he loved the car so much that he decided to do this championship and he too <laughs> exactly. bought another one as well just for the heck of it. So he has two cars there. He's only running one this weekend unfortunately but uh, yeah these cars are, are a huge amount of fun. 47 is in. Now the driver change will get done. And I wonder if they were worried that perhaps he didn't have the drive time that he needed. But it certainly seemed straightforward to me. But I wasn't watching the clock quite as closely as they were. Because if he came across the line at pit in before that 40-minute mark, he would have needed to get back out and get some lap time. That's handed the lead to Keith Grant all these pit stops as we're cycling through and remember Grant has been on a tear really moved up from his qualifying position starting back in the eighth place and now in the lead certainly some of that came via pit stops but a lot of it came by sheer pace yeah and uh, the uh, number nine car it is now that Scott Andrews is driving that car he just set the fastest lap of the race at 159.6 for the Aussie there in car number uh, nine is up into the eighth position. Long, long way back, of course, because he has made uh, a pit stop. But the the race leader, Keith Grant, he just turned his best lap of the race at two minutes 2.2. So uh, Scott Andrews was more than uh, more than two and a half seconds faster on his first flying or his second flying lap in that kind of a nine. Joe Robillard still being shown behind the wheel of the number 10. That blue and turquoise camouflage pattern. Can't lose it out here. John Brownson right behind in the black and burgundy 23. They're having a good go of it right now. Things will cycle through on these pit stops, and then we'll get the field kind of back together, I would imagine, and have that run to the checkered flag. But there's always this pause in there in the middle where the pit stops happen. 105 seconds, the minimum time you can spend on pit road. And I think that's another great call 
by the series when you look at series like this that affords you a little more time to get things done you don't have to have as many crew members of course that's in the rules as well and all that helps limit cost that's fewer hotel rooms fewer airline tickets less meals and it's still great racing right now Robillard doing a good job he'll hand that car over to Stephen McAleer the winner here last year another guy I walked over to talk to him this morning he was sitting in the car Stephen McAleer was without his suit on but with his gloves on just sitting there going over switches mentally running laps it just shows you the level of concentration that these drivers have they may be categorized as a silver and thankfully so to a lot of them because they wouldn't be able to drive here if they were ranked higher than that although i think their skills are certainly on par with many who are ranked as gold drivers but he was sitting there visualizing laps and just working through it in his mind to get prepared to get behind the wheel of this number 10. oh there's a bold move Oh, and see what happens when you get out wide. <laughs> uh, undaunted by his earlier recent there, John Brownson, Mr. Excitement. He tries to make a move on Joe around the outside, not able to pull it off. But boy, that was a, a nice try as we see Dan Goldberg bring the, the number six car into the pits. Now, that's interesting because I believe he pitted just a lap or so ago to fix the nose. Now they're going to do the driver change. Why wouldn't they have done it all at one time? I, I thought I saw a shot of him, and I don't have pit stops on my timing screen. Um, but I thought he dove in to the pits a couple of laps ago. He did, he did last time around, you're right. But speaking of Mr. Excitement, Rasmus Lind will be taking over the 19-year-old Swede that we talked about earlier, the Indy Lights experience that he has, and he should be very quick in that car. This battle continues on the racetrack. Joe Robillard in front in the number 10. 23 of John Brownson behind him. I would expect to see them in. If they pit now, they can easily make it on fuel to the end because you think about by the time it's going to take them around to get around into the pit lane will be well down, if not close to the 50-minute mark, and then it's 105 seconds on pit lane. So they'll be well inside the 50-minute mark that people were saying yeah, 50 to 55 minutes on a tank. Yeah. Questions I mean, that I have are for those first couple that pitted, Jeremy, whether or not they're going to have to employ that that strategy that you talked about. Yeah, uh, uh, it's certainly going to be tight for them, and if, if there's not, they, they will definitely need another a full course caution, which certainly ease their their strategy considerably. If there isn't a full course, another full course caution, or if the, if we don't get any any rain, God forbid, or whatever, any, any other so any way other way to slow down the cars, then it, it could be a bit of a stretch. But uh, a gamble worth taking. They were back in the uh, sixth position before Jerry Crap brought that car into the pits, and since then Scott Andrews is going faster and faster. Yet another fastest lap this time around, 159.47. Two, so fractionally quicker than his previous lap for Scott Andrews in uh, car number nine. They're going to work again on the nose of the number six. And for Rasmus Lind, this isn't what he wants. He's never done a pit stop before. He wanted to come in, jump in the car, fire it up, and, and take off like you do on a pit stop. But that work having to be done on the nose. We saw the vibration when Dan Goldberg was out there after the contact with Joel Janko in the 47. So they'll have to get this sorted and they're going to keep their fingers crossed that 
maybe another full course caution flies where the rain comes in so that they can make up the positions that are being lost as they sit there on pit lane. Most frustrating thing a race car driver will ever do. Yeah, it certainly is, isn't it? And this is, uh, is this, this seems like an awfully long stop, doesn't it, from number six, six car of Dan Goldberg. It's a shame because they, uh, as you were just talking about with Rasmus Linde, had huge expectations coming into this race. Rasmus Linde, the deal was only done a week or so ago. Rasmus, uh, having finished second in both the uh, USF 2000 Championship and Indy Pro 2000, the two steps on the road to Indy uh, in the last two years. He was planning on stepping up to the final leg on that road to Indy. Indy lights for this season, but that season, that uh, campaign was put on hiatus because of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. So Rasmus has been looking for other things to do and has landed here at Performance Tech Motorsports and he very much impressed the team in his first day out in the car yesterday. Inside 50 minutes to go from Sebring. Round two of IMSA Prototype Challenge competition. It's Keith Grant out in front. We expect to see him on pit lane here in the next lap or two to hand that over to his brother, David. Good battles all around this Sebring circuit. IMSA prototype challenge. 54 car now on pit road. Dominic Cicero, he'll hand that over to Dakota Dickerson. And Dakota Dickerson has certainly made a name for himself in North American road racing over the last several years, Jeremy. Yeah, hasn't he just, uh, he's, he's won the, uh, F, F Formula 4 and the F3, now Formula Regional Championship the last two seasons. He's also uh, created a very good impression with the Honda Acura HBD, Honda Performance Development. They gave an opportunity recently to drive an, a GTD Acura NSX GT3 car uh, to do to do some testing and, and uh, evaluations. And he was very impressive. Dane Cameron, who is the factory driver for Team Accurate team Penske names where the Tech Sports Car Championship. He was there to sort of be a, a, a kind of a baseline benchmark for these young drivers. There were four or five of them who had the opportunity to, to drive that Acura. And uh, Dane was very impressed with Dakota Dickerson, with his attitude, with his approach, asking good questions and good speed in the car as well. Dane Cameron actually set a benchmark time as that pit stop is completed in that car. And he had to go out again later in the day to up the benchmark <laughs> when uh, Dakota Dickerson got awfully close to it. <laughs> Did he have to? Oh, yes. <laughs> didn't, didn't, no. Oh, yes. He, he, he had to personally. We need you to set a benchmark. So he, D D D Dakota was really impressed with himself. Well, I mean, he's a very modest young man in actual fact, but he was he was so pleased to get within uh, you know, a couple of tenths of Dane's time. But then Dane went back out again and, and you know, laid down a real fast one. So uh, he said, God dang it. Yeah, he had to go do it all again. And he didn't want to make a mistake and throw the car at the fence, Dakota Dickerson. But he did a really, really good job. And yeah, it was a, a, a tremendous day out for him. So yet more experience there. And yesterday also Dakota Dickerson got an opportunity to drive a Honda TCR car in the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series race. So getting lots of experience is Dakota Dickerson. You see pit stop here for our race leader, Keith Grant, to hand over to his brother, David. Yeah, you earn those opportunities by not only what you do on the racetrack, but off. Keith finally getting out. David had to have been on the radio, I think, these last 10 laps going, come on, brother, when do I get to play? And so now we're going to see what David can do. And the 40, we know the car is good underneath both of those guys. They've had good lap times in practice. Keith has been spectacular in the race. Very strong performance from the drop of the initial green. 
and aggressive moves towards the front of the field and brought the car in in the lead. We'll see what David can do with it when he gets back out there. Cameron Castles in the 75, still being shown in the 75. When will that car come to pit road? Uh, 75, no, that, those got the top three, I think, are in the pits right now. So I think those ah. are the last of the leaders to to make a pit stop. Uh, and uh, the, the top three cars, number 40 of Keith Grant, Cameron Castles, number 75, and John Brown, so car number 23, I think, all making their pit stops right now. And uh, so that is going to put Scott Andrews, I think, in the lead of this race in car number nine. Good run here with the three and the 33, Eric Palmer. Bud Grossenbacher in the 33. If you think you recognize that name, Grossenbacher, because of motorsport, both IndyCar and sports car racing, you do. And that's Gary Grossenbacher, who is a very accomplished engineer, team manager. He's filled, I think, almost every position in motorsports over the last couple of decades or few decades. I don't want to age him. He, he would get mad at me for that. But a uh, very experienced engineer and Bud really kind of following in his footsteps an aerodynamic degree, an aerodynamic engineering degree from the university and now using that aeronautical engineering degree in his work life, but has raced go-karts for years and years and doing a lot of dirt track racing right now, but Lance Wilsey gave him the opportunity to drive this car they came and tested here he went really well and he's, he's having a ball and he and lance are almost exactly the same size so it's an easy fit in the car and but grossenbacher getting an opportunity right now car on the move kind of answers the question is how well david grant was going to run in the 40 when he got in it that's the 47 right there though jonathan george working his way past the number three George, after his pit stops and the problems that we saw for Joel Janko, one of the quicker cars on the racetrack right now, but you would expect that. Remember, they had that victory at Daytona under very difficult conditions. So we know that the 47 Motorsport team definitely knows how to put a good car on the racetrack. And Jonathan Jordan, Joel Janko doing a great job with it here. Ran into a couple of issues, but George trying to work his way back up towards the front. Yeah, and the number 75 and number 40 cars here, they, they've, uh, they've exchanged uh, positions during those during those pit stops, but still to get, well, together again on the race right now, she's separated by, I think, around about eight seconds when they came into the pits with the number 40 ahead of the number 75. It looked there as if the number 75 had got out to, that's uh, uh, Maxwell Hanratty, who got ahead of the number 40 car during that round of pit stops. And this is where things will begin to cycle through as the final pit stops are made. And that kind of gets the order sorted back out where it theoretically should be, so to speak. You see the pit stops happen over that larger time frame. And that kind of creates a little confusion on the racetrack. It certainly does for me. But there's David Grant in the 40, right there behind the 75 of Max Hanready. This one's going to be a good one. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's a, that's a fun battle there. That is uh, for uh, second place now. Scott Andrews is well down the road. He leads uh, by half a minute, having made that pit stop uh, significantly before everybody else and turning some super fast laps since taking over the wheel of that car. So he's, he's long gone down the road, but this is a fabulous battle for second place. David Grant is behind Max Hanradian. Oh! Uh, that 
that's disappointing to see, but you could see it coming. The move, a little fate, the block, and all in that heavy braking zone down there. And take a look at it again. See the 75 of Hanrad. He's staying driver's right. Just a misjudgment there from David Grant. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the the number 75 car, Max Hanrady, he was defending the inside line. And let's have a look at it from the open wall. You can see he's defending the inside line, coming down towards the hairpin. The uh, the other car is closing up behind him. He just tries to duck to the inside, just completely misjudges it as they get down into the braking area, nails the back of number 75 car. And that's a uh, an unforced error there from David Grant and very, very disappointing. Yeah, I think he was going to fake to the outside and then make the move to the inside. What he may not have been aware of was how deep into the braking zone they were at that point in time. And obviously for Max Hanrady, he was going to have to slow down for the corner. So he jumped on the binders just about the time that David Grant looked to the inside, got that right rear. And I think it's day done for the 75. Looks like yeah. there's suspension damage to the right rear. Full course caution will fly for the third time here at Sebring. And that's unfortunate. Two very, very fast cars, two competitors and teams that had run up front. Now their day has been jumbled for sure. So the full course caution flies yet again here at Sebring. This is full course caution number three for IMSA Prototype Challenge. They'll work to get this incident cleared. And then we'll get back to green flag racing with just over 40 minutes yet to go. Max Handready sits stranded in the 75, down at turn seven, the hairpin after the contact from David Grant in the braking zone there. And we talked about it just a moment ago. Just think David Grant a little lost in the braking zone as to how far in they were and was going to make that bold move to the right after faking left and just happened a little too late, made that contact. And I don't know what kind of damage David Grant may have to the left front of the 40, but for Max Hanready in the 75, Jeremy, I don't think they're going to be able to overcome that one. No, absolutely right. Uh, the number 40 car has got going again and has come around to complete this lap, I think. But uh, I'd be surprised there isn't, isn't, isn't damage to the to the front of that car. We can see that he moves to the inside and, and then tries to duck to the inside. I think he's probably expecting... Uh, Max Hanrady just to move back to the outside line to take take the line through that right-handed corner, but he just completely misjudged it. Did David Grant, and, I, and that's uh, all on David Grant, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, I think you're right. I was thinking that the left front really got the right rear, but I think it was almost square on the nose on the 40, and so that may be why we've seen the 40 pull on out. But all that impact right into the right rear and that. That does some damage, and then that clout on the wall with the right rear going backwards, that may have been the coup de grace there, as you see the suspension damage, the car sitting down on that right rear, and it's going to be day over for the 40. The work to get that car loaded up on one of the safety vehicles and out of the way, it shouldn't take a lot of time, and then we can get back to racing. It's been a great run so far here, some great competition, side-by-side -side racing, just a little misjudgment and it shows you at the speed that these cars are going it only takes a tenth of a second or, or so to guess incorrectly and when it happens the consequences are not good full course caution 
at Sebring with IMSA Prototype Challenge. Certainly, Scott Andrews did not want to see the full course caution fly. And, of course, Max Hanretti did not want to see it either because he's the reason that it's out after being hit by David Grant down in turn seven. But for Andrews, big lead is gone, and the car, the two cars right behind you, actually, let's just line them up. The three cars right behind you, Jeremy, Dakota Dickerson, Stephen McAleer, Matt Bell, all of them know how to win races in this category. And for Andrews, he may very well have his hands full towards a checkered flag. And Mother Nature may have a part in this with 37 minutes to go. Look at the showers in the area. Yeah, that's uh, certainly uh, going to throw potentially a spanner in the works there. And th this caution, uh, it's good news and bad news for Scott Andrews. It's certainly bad news in the fact that his his lead of, uh, of, of well over half a minute has been uh, cut to, to absolutely nothing. That's certainly bad news. But I think he needed some full course caution in order to be able to get to the end of this race without having to make another fuel stop. So uh, that, that's, that's, the good, that's the good news for Scott Andrews. Dakota Dickerson then, through all of that, now finds himself in second place, as you say, with McAleer in third, and, and Matt Bell, who's also super fast and actually has set the fastest lap of the race in car number 64. Matt Bell take, taken over from the early race leader, Naveen Rao, running in fourth position now, and in very, very good position to, uh, to, to make a run in the latter stages here now. This full course caution has changed the complexion of round two of IMSA Prototype Challenge Series. 36 minutes and counting. Car is still behind the safety car and the lights are on. So they'll do another lap. But when we go back to green, the battle up front should be intense. We've seen great battles throughout this race. And I would expect nothing less when we go back to green. Should be just one more lap, I would think, and we'll see the lights off on the Cadillac safety car, and we'll go back to green flag here at Sebring. For Scott Andrews in the number nine, what are you thinking, Jeremy, right now? You've got this full course caution. It's brought some of the fastest cars on the circuit up behind you. You said it just a few minutes ago. Matt Bell has the fastest lap of the day. He's in the 64 car in fourth. We saw Naveen Rao in that car at the start just walk away from the rest of the field. He sits fourth in the order. Dakota Dickerson in the 54 car knows how to win. He won in this class last year. Stephen McAleer won this race last year. He sits in third. It's going to be a barn burner when the green flag comes out. Absolutely it is. And, and, and looking back to yesterday, there were two practice sessions yesterday. Matt Bell was fastest in the first of the sessions. Scott Andrews was fastest in the second. And as you say, Stephen McAleer, uh, he's won a couple of races here. So you know, he's, uh, he's very much in the thick of things. And to go to Dickerson, uh, ditto, uh, you know, the, the, the youngster from Southern California, from, from San Diego, 23 years of age now, Dakota Dickerson, very talented young American driver and very much looking to make his mark here. This is going to be an exciting battle. All right. Now, let me throw a wrench in this because let's look at the order of the cars lined up right now. You've got the nine car, the black and blue number nine. That's Scott Andrews. That is the leader. The car right behind, behind him. The black and burgundy number 23, that's Anthony Simone. 
He is not in the lead. In fact, he's back in ninth place, one lap down. Then you go back behind him, and I believe, is that the 11 car behind the 23? It is, and yeah. there's another lap car. So right now, Stephen McAleer or, and Dakota Dickerson, they've got to be going, hey, is there anything we can do to get these guys out of the way? Because guaranteed, when Andrews gets over to turn 17 and the lights are out on the safety car and it's out of the way, he is going to be long gone. And for Dakota Dickerson, fourth in the order, but second in the race is going to have to get past those two cars if he want to take if he wants to take the battle to Andrews. Yeah, very frustrating for him certainly, and uh, it's certainly interesting to see that Seth Thomas did get they got that uh, MG1 Motorsports car number 11 back out on the racetrack. He is a couple of laps down, so not really uh, battling for anybody there. He's on a lap on his own. The number 23, oh, Anthony Simone, he had another. He, he made his regular. That, that car made its regular pit stop for John Brownson to hand over to Anthony Simone. But unfortunately, there was a, a problem in the pit lane. I forget what it was now. And they had to serve a drive-through penalty uh, that uh, kind of a 23. It was, uh, yeah, wheel rotation while the jack while, it, while the car was up on the jack stand. So he didn't have the uh, the brakes on while he was making, while they were making uh, the car up on the jack. So that's a penalty. He had to serve a drive-through. So that's why the number 23 car is a lap off the pace number six car also that made the extra stop as we saw before that caution period so that would explain why that car is also a lap down to the rest of the field and one car out of the way one of the lap cars that's the 11 who's come to pit road so that helps out dakota dickerson stephen mcaleer and matt bell a little bit but they still have one car in the way a six race championship this is round two and this is why we're under caution right now. David Grant trying to get around the 75 of Max Hanready and just makes a misjudgment down into the hairpin, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, and I'll tell you what compounded the problem there for David Grant. Uh, he is expecting Max Hanready probably to move to the outside lane, which he's he can be able to dive down the inside. But unfortunately, Max Hanready there, he's kind of not on the optimum line. He's kind of in the middle of the racetrack. So I think he breaks just a little bit earlier than David Grant anticipated. You can see here David Grant dives to the inside at just the point that Max Hanready is getting on the brakes for the hairpin. So I think that compounded the problem. And it was still a mistake from David Grant. But I think that uh, it, it looked rather egregious in the initial incident. But I think it was probably uh, some circumstances there that were not out his control but that he didn't didn't anticipate just made that contact look even worse than it was well that's an excellent point because if he's coming down the middle of the racetrack or slightly to the inside of the middle of the racetrack he's not on the optimum line he's going to have to slow the car down more to get through the corner he's not out there to drivers left where you would normally be so maybe he did have to get on the brakes a little bit earlier and if david grant's thinking hey i break at x well then there's the problem because X isn't going to work because there's a car in the way. No, that's right. You have to break, break at Y when you're offline. <laughs> but uh, w whichever way you look at it, uh, there's no getting away from the fact that it was a mistake by David Grant and, and yeah. it's cost Max Anradi uh, and Cameron Castles the opportunity to score some more good points. And having finished fourth in the opening, uh, opening race of the season, massive disappointment for that team and the Performance Tech Motorsports organization. Still under full course caution, and if you're thinking, well, how can you make a mistake like that as a driver? If you're watching this race and you're a race car driver, you need to get up and go look in the mirror and ask yourself what the last time you made a mistake was. And if you're somebody who plays iRacing or any of the other 
video or sim games, ask yourself how many times you hit reset. So there you go, right? They're all mistakes. Race car drivers make them, we're human too. So even though you've got some serious talent behind the wheel, hundreds and tenths of a second, Sometimes it's easy to make the mistake, and David Grant certainly did. I'm sure he'll raise his hand and say so. Scott Andrews out in front waiting for the restart. Now closing down on 30 minutes to go from Sebring. Scott Andrews right behind that Cadillac safety car sees the lights go out, and he goes, okay, it's go time. I'm sure his crew is saying, Make sure you've kept temperature in the tires. If not, see if you can work those brakes a little bit more, work those tires a little bit more. Make sure you've got the temperature that you need for the 23 of Anthony Simone. I hope his team is saying, hey, make sure that you're keeping in mind what's going on here and where you are. Now for Simone, if he can just get past the car in front of him and get another yellow, He's back on the lead lap, and he's back in the battle, but he's got to be respectful of the fight for the overall race win because he's second on the racetrack, but a lap down in ninth place in the running order. So he needs to be respectful of his competition as well. They always say what goes around comes around, and the guys that are behind you, they're going to remember it if you need a favor at some point in time in the future. So, like I said, respect goes a long way. Thomas or Andrews, I should say, slowing the field down slightly, letting the safety car get away, and then I would expect to see him pull the trigger as he enters the corner here. That's where the officials have said the restart zone starts. So as soon as Andrews takes off in that nine car, he'll expect to see a green flag waiting down the front straightaway. Scott Andrews in it hard on the front straightaway, and here comes the fight. Dakota Dickerson trying to get around that lap car of Simone, the 23. He'll get it done before they get to turn one. But what about McAleer on the inside? He's going to get Dickerson and McAleer up to second place. Powerful move. Great move there by Stephen McAleer. He saw the opportunity there. Those two cars battling side by side. There's a spin there. I think, was that, uh, was that David Grant again? I think it might be. He's having a uh, difficult day. It was, one, it was one of the 47 most sports cars. Number 47, actually, it was Jonathan George who had the spin there at, uh, at turn three. So that's uh, put that car back in the back. That's the championship leader, of course. Uh, started on the pole by Joel Dranko. And uh, there was uh, some tight battling there in the middle of the field. And Joel Dranko goes for a spin. Dakota Dickerson being a little defensive in that white, orange, and purple 54. The car right behind him with the black nose, the number six, Rasmus Lynn. He's a lap down, but he is very, very quick. And you talk about quick, that gray 64, Matt Bell, he's made short work of Rasmus Lind in the six. And now all over the rear wing of Dakota Dickerson, he's going to try to make the move. Two different chassis at play right here. Oh, and the 64 dropping a wheel at the exit. That's not going to help his move forward. It drops it back just a little bit. But, Jeremy, we talked about this last year. The Norma chassis, the 64, and the Ligier chassis, that's what Dakota Dickerson has underneath him. Each one of them seems to take a little while to come in after a restart. Last year, it took the Norma a little bit longer, but right now, Matt Bell in that 64, that Norma chassis, it seems to come to life really, really quickly. 
And uh, full course caution again. Not quite sure why that is. We just saw number 40 car coming into the pits there, Brian. As uh, we're going to go under full course. Oh, okay, so, so Joel Dranko didn't get going again in number 47. His teammate, number 40, just uh, just came into the pit lane. We just saw a, a, a glimpse of that. That was a, a penalty. Incident responsibility for David Grant. As we'd uh, predict. Uh, yeah, and there's a replay of what happened to Jonathan George. Just stuffed it down the inside and uh, just left his brake in a little bit too late. There's an, another view from this on from, from behind. This is going to be rather interesting. You can stuff it down the inside. There's already two or three cars abreast. Gets down the inside. And Jonathan George is a very accomplished driver and driver coach. Uh, he'll probably reflect on that and thinking, hmm, that's probably not what I want to be teaching my young drivers yeah. because he just got a bit in a bit over his head there and, and lost the car under braking and around it went. And unfortunately, even worse for him, he stalled the engine. And these cars do have onboard starters, but... For some reason, he's not able to get that car going again. That's a major disappointment for him. It's also, though, very good news for car number 40 because having served that to drive-through penalty, uh, I think the number 40 car is going to be able to resume without losing a lap to the rest of the field, I believe. So that's certainly very, very good news for David Grant. But the, you just talked about Matt Bell having set the fastest, well, uh, being being quick, massively experienced. He's 30 years of age these days from Newcastle on Tyne in England, Matthew Bell in car number 64. He set the fastest lap of the race shortly before the previous caution period uh, at a 1 minute 58.490. That's only a tenth of a second outside the track record that was set a couple of years ago uh, when... Uh, the cars were, well, we, we haven't seen anybody get even close to the times that were set a couple of years ago, either last year or this. But the lap record was set by Pato Award in uh, 2018, 158.343. That's a race lap record. Uh, Pato Award, of course, now is driving the NTT IndyCar Series for the McLaren uh, SP team, Arrow McLaren SP, and has been an absolute star the last couple of in NTT IndyCar races. I think it just shows how quick Matthew Bell is at the wheel of that car. It's also quicker than the qualifying lap record that was set by Nico Jamin also back in 2017 at a 156.8. That was a super fast lap in qualifying, but uh, Matt Bell is showing his paces here this afternoon. Well, this is interesting for Jonathan George, who had that spin. The engine died. That's what we thought. It was just not refiring, but Perhaps there's something more to it than that. The officials tried to push it and get it started. They towed it, and he tried to bump start it. And now it looks like they're just going to give him a flat tow and perhaps take him down to the far end of the racetrack and tuck him out of the way because the lights are off on the safety car, and that means we are ready to go back to green. So perhaps a broken drive line or something like that on the 47. That in and of itself could affect the braking on the way into the corner, not trying to make excuses for Jonathan George, but you never know. He got it was a it was certainly a bold move, let's say that for sure, but I don't know if there might not be more to what's going on with the 47 than what meets the eye. Lights off though, and we'll go back to green. My dear friend, sports car legend Dorsey Schrader used to say, yellows breed yellows. That's exactly what we've saw here off this last one let's hope that this one goes a little bit better but the one thing we don't have anymore jeremy no lap cars between the first four cars in the order 
and they will be on it. Nothing between them at all but air, and they'll try to make that go away. No social distancing here as the green flag flies, and already the 64 of Bell, that gray 64, he's already passed Dakota Dickerson. He has, yeah, a great start, restart there for Matt Bell, as uh, the previous restart by Stephen McAleer. But uh, th 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 this latest caution period is going to assist Scott uh, Andrews even more because I think now he's probably going to be good to get to the finish without having any fuel concerns in that number nine car for JDC Motorsports at the front of the field. So I think he's good to go now. So it's it's he against the, the similar Norma of uh, Stephen McAleer and Matt Bell, the best of the Ligier, is now up into third place ahead of Dakota Dickerson. It's interesting to see the Norma chassis on these restarts be so quick, because if you'll remember back to last year, the Ligier seemed to have the edge with getting tires up to temp and pressure earlier. They were awesomely quick on starts and restarts. The Norma seemed to have the edge in straight line speed especially on the longer racetracks, but it took a while to get up to speed after a, a restart. But that's not at all what we're seeing here today with the 64 in the hands of Matt Bell. You know, it's, it, it, there's still, how long have we got? We've got to 21 minutes to go in this race. So there's still plenty of time here. And uh, yeah, for Matt Bell, uh, we're going to have to see. He's, you know, he's, get, getting past Stephen McAleer is not going to be very easy because Stephen uh, came into this weekend absolutely on a mission, having had that problem, which uh, which prevented the car from even starting at Daytona. So, you know, he's just he he, he know he and he, he and Joan Robillard know that they're pretty much out of the championship reckoning with only. Uh, with only six races in this championship and uh, having not scored any at all in the first round and only 13 cars here, you know, that you, you can't make up, it's always difficult to make up a big loss like that. So he told me before, so, you know, we're just going for race wins uh, all the way through the rest of the championship. And uh, OK, it might not be a win he's, he's has in his grasp at the moment, but he's got second place and he sure doesn't want to lose it. Absolutely, and you never know. Remember, there's six races for everybody, and if you had bad luck, somebody else can too. We just saw that with Max Hanready down at the hairpin with that incident with David Grant. So it can go away in a heartbeat. What do you do as a race car driver? You get out there and you do what you're supposed to do. Head down, focus forward, and go try to win the race and let the chips fall where they may. When the checkered flag falls on race number six, then you can crown a champion. So don't think about championships at this point in the season. Just go out and race. And that's what they're doing right now. Matt Bell doing all he can to get past McAleer, but McAleer seems to be getting that Ligier up to speed, but Andrews out in front of the Norma chassis as well. You always have that advantage on the restart. You can pull the trigger a little bit sooner than the people behind you. You get that little leap, and that gives you that little bit of an advantage, but I don't think it was just the leap on the restart, Jeremy. I think he's putting in some really, really solid laps, as is Scott Andrews. Andrews, the first lap uh, going back to green there was a two minutes point four. We'll see what it is this time around. He's what two thirds of the way around the lap now. And on that previous lap, he pulled out about three quarters of a second over Stephen McAleer. But of course, McAleer, he's not, he's, he's worried not only about trying to catch the race leader, Scott Andrews, but he's also got to, got to have one eye at least on his mirror because he knows how fast Matt Bell is. And uh, 
uh, and Matt is going to be a very difficult guy to keep behind him with the amount of experience he has in his LMP3 cars, not only here in North America, but in Europe as well. And it's interesting if you take into consideration the strengths of each of those chassis. We talked about straight line speed on the Norma, a little more downforce, perhaps a little better cornering and a little better braking for the Ligier. So it's a real trade-off. A lot of the passing here happens down into the hairpin. Well, straight line speed gets you there, but you've got to have the downforce to get the braking done. So call that even. Straight line speed helps you going down into turn 17, but you've got to have good aerodynamics to keep the car planted over the bumps down there. So we'll call that even. So I'm thinking it's going back to what the setup is like on these cars, how the crews guessed right for the weather conditions, and ultimately, who's holding on to the steering wheel and who's willing to take the chance. Yeah, completely, uh, completely agree with you there. And certainly, uh, Stephen McAleer, he's got his hands full here because that was another great lap by Scott Andrews in the, that, that lead car, car number nine. One minute, 59.3. He's the only guy uh, below two minutes on that last lap. Two minutes, point two for McAleer. Two minutes, point one for Matt, Matthew Bell in that third position. So a full second faster than Stephen McAleer, and I wonder if that's just the outright pace that Andrews has, or I wonder if McAleer's pace is somewhat slowed by the defensive nature that he has to employ right now, trying to keep Matt Bell behind him. Yeah, I, I, a little bit of both, but certainly you know, Scott Andrews, he's showing magnificent speed at the front there. He's, uh, he's uh, he, he, he too has a huge amount of experience in these cars been driving them in Europe as well in the in the European Le Mans series and the Michelin uh, Le Mans Cup in Europe so uh, hugely experienced in these cars and Stephen while he does an awful lot of driving in all sorts of different cars uh, he knows that uh, he probably doesn't have quite as much time behind the wheel uh, of a Norma M30 LMP3 car as does Scott Andrews but uh, he's certainly not going to give up that second position without a major fight first four cars in your shot for sure Andrews McAleer Bell Dickerson and I know Bud Grossenbacher would like to be included in that some serious serious racing talent it comes from the IMSA prototype challenge series you were talking about Pato Award in the NTT IndyCar series now spent time in prototype challenge cars and you can look up the way at other drivers who have done the same every one of these drivers wants to move up and continue to apply their trade Stephen McAleer certainly wants to do that. He wants to stay in front of Matt Bell if that's going to happen. Scott Andrews still out in front. McAleer locked in this battle with Matt Bell. Yeah, what a good job uh, in that in the number uh, 33 car for Bud Grossenbacher. I mean, he's he's hanging there, hanging right with Dakota Dixie. And he lost well, less than a second to him on the last lap. That's pretty stout for his first proper run in these cars. And that was his best that the number 33 car's best lap of the race, as indeed it was for number 54. So it's another off-course excursion for uh, car number 40, I think that is, uh, David Grant. Boy, he's, a, he's had an eventful day, hasn't he? Just gets up on the curb at the apex of 16. You can see it just lifts the nose up in the air. And, of course, A, that takes the tire off the ground, but it also gets rid of any good downforce that you have going and being created from under the car and a lot of the downforce on these cars comes from underneath the car and how the air flows through it and he just loses the front end in addition to being tossed to the outside there at turn 16 and off you go 
Scott Andrews, though, onto the back straightaway cleanly. Second car in shot. Stephen McAleer in the 10. 64, that gray Norma chassis that Matt Bell shares with Naveen Rao. This battle has been like this since the restart. 14 minutes to go. Who's going to get the best of each other? And can Scott Andrews hold on for another 14 minutes from here at Sebring? We'll find out. Matt Bell not letting Stephen McAleer get away. Nothing McAleer would enjoy more than another victory here at Sebring. He got it in a solo drive last year in 2019. He has his hands full right now, Jeremy, and I think he may be thinking more about finishing second right now than he is about winning this race because Scott Andrews is checked out. 3.2 seconds the last time by the line. Yeah, and that was the best lap of the race for Scott Andrews in that number nine car, 159.096. He, uh, again, it was about three quarters of a second that he had over Stephen McAleer. So McAleer, you know, he's, he's experienced enough. He's a former champion in the uh, ST category of what is now the Michelin Pilot Challenge. And, uh, you know, drives a lot of cars and he, he knows he's got a second place car today. Or, or he doesn't have a first place car in terms of his pace in, in any case. So in that case, he, he knows uh, second place finish is, is better than third. Might not be as good as first, but it's better than third. And that's what he wants to keep at this stage. So he's going to do everything he possibly can to turn fast, consistent laps here, make no mistakes and give no opportunity for Matthew Bell to make a lunge for that second position. Tell young drivers all the time that you've got to think within the car. You're a numbers guy, Jeremy. It, off the top of your head, what do you think an average finish is for a champion in almost any form of, of motorsports, especially in yeah. road racing? Yeah, top five. If you can finish top five in every single race in, in most championships, uh, then uh, that's that's golden. Uh, I think, you know, for McAleer, of course, it's different, different, different because he didn't take part in the first race of the season. Right. Nor indeed did. Uh, but having said that, nor did uh, number nine car. So number nine car probably isn't going for a championship either. So uh, for, in terms of the rest of the championship contenders, uh, this is Stephen McAleer is doing everything he possibly can here by staying ahead of that number 64 car which uh, finished second in the opening round of the championship. Yeah, I tell young drivers all the time, add up the numbers, and that's what gets you a championship. And you've got to, it's the age-old deal of, in order to finish first, you first have to finish. So uh, once again, I'll quote Dorsey Schrader and, and say, you know, he always used to say, if you've got a second-place car and you finish second, you won. If you've got a fifth-place car and you finish fifth, you won. If you've got a fifth-place car and you finish sixth, well, you got some work to do. So it's one of those things that you really have to think in the car all the while that you're being attacked, like Stephen McAleer is right now by Matt Bell, and kind of do those computations and think about what's going on and think about what you've got, put it together and, and come home with the best finish you can, the smartest drive that you can put in, all the while never giving up, but being reasonable and honest with what you've got to work with today so that you can come back and fight another day. Yeah, and yeah, there's uh, much more sunshine now than there was earlier on. So that rain, that uh, threat of rain seems to have dissipated. And those speed of various teams this morning, they were they're expecting uh, a shower of, of rain at best uh, at some at some point during this one hour and 45 minute race. It looks like now with uh, le with just over 11 minutes remaining that uh, fingers crossed we'll be able to go green all the way and not only that but the sun is out so it's hot out there it's a real workout we've talked about already how these uh, this bump this 
the bumpiness of this racetrack makes it very physically demanding on the drivers and the cars and when it's hot and humid out there as well even more so i think we're beginning to see the personalities of the chassis come out just like we did last year mcaleer seems to be better in the tighter stuff better over the bumps better getting the power down and the norma really seems to close in at the end of the longer straightaways it's you just have to know the strengths and the weaknesses of what you've got and talk about strengths hats off you said it earlier to bud grossenbacher who's having a good run dakota dickerson in that shot in the 54 runs fourth and i think that was rasmus lind who's behind him lind a lap down but still getting a good education running with the top runners in this prototype challenge category. He's shown back in eighth, but he's right there on the ring, rear wing of Dakota Dickerson. And here comes the move that we were waiting for from Matt Bell. Is it too much? Yeah, it is. And McAleer does the over and under. He took him in as deep as he possibly could. And I think Stephen McAleer knew, let him go because I'm going to get him back at the exit of the corner. But Matt Bell showing that he has the speed down the straightaways. And McAleer puts him down on that gray, and there's not a lot of grip. That's kind of what we saw with, with the 40 car earlier of David Grant. You get down in there, and you got to break a little bit earlier, or you're not going to make the corner. And that was the perfect example of what you were talking about, Jeremy. On that inside line, you got to break earlier, because if you don't, you're not going to make the corner. You're not going to make the corner. That's exactly right. That was great, great driving there by both of those two. Brilliant move by uh, by Matthew Bell. That's exactly what you're supposed to do: is uh, not hit the other car as you dive to the inside. But as you say, uh, he just carried a little bit too much speed into the corner. So, brilliant awareness there from Stephen McLear. He saw that the number. Uh, 64 car was fully committed down the inside. He knew his only opportunity was to, was to pull out wide on the entrance to the corner, Stephen McAleer, and then cut across and hopefully get him on the exit, uh, irrespective of not, you know, if, if number uh, 64 car makes the corner, okay, but he's certainly going to be compromised on the exit. So McAleer, therefore, trying to make sure he has a good exit as possible. And, 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 and uh, as it turned out, uh, the bell was in too deep, so he ran wide, so it made the repass much easier. But a great over-under move there by those two. Great stuff. I hope that Dakota Dickerson's team is on the radio with him explaining the position of the car that is now almost alongside of him. That means nothing for Dakota Dickerson, who runs fourth right now. And Rasmus Lynn, the young Swede, is hungry to make this pass let him go and I think that's exactly what we just saw from Dakota Dickerson off you go and speaking of off you go I think was that the 40 with a problem there at the exit of the hairpin off in the grass now back on and that, yeah, that attempted pass that attempted pass last time down there has set Matt Bell back just a little bit but he's charging back Jeremy he is, and uh, boy, it has been eventful days. Number thir number 40 cars now a lap uh, off the ultimate pace. But uh, see, for Scott Andrews, who leads the race, he just reset his own best lap of the race. It's not quite as quick as Ma Matthew Bell managed earlier on, but a 59.030 there for our race leader, Scott Andrews. Uh, while those other two were dicing amongst themselves and costing each other time at the, at the hairpin, Scott Andrews therefore able to extend his lead. It's now out to uh, four and a half seconds 
with less than seven minutes remaining in this race. So another probably four laps to go. And that's going to be the longest four laps of Stephen McAleer's career, perhaps. You have no idea what seeing another five or six car links between you and your competitor means when you're in a race like this and you're at a track like Sebring. That gave Stephen McAleer a little breathing room. He knows it's going to take a couple of laps for that to be made back up by Matthew Bell there in the 64, but it's going to take a couple of laps, but you know it'll be right back there. So Stephen McAleer now has a little more focus that he can apply to going forward and putting the perfect lap in. He's only going to get about two of those, and then Matt Bell's going to be back in striking position. And once again, great consistency from our race leader. 1 minute 59.1 that lap around. So he's just doing, he's just hitting his marks all the time. And Stephen McAleer, he knows that's exactly what he's got to do as well. He's got to keep an eye on his mirror. He goes defensive there as they head down to turn seven. But this time he realizes that Matthew Bell isn't quite close enough to take a, a lunge down the inside. So Stephen McAleer able to take his optimal line under braking. Get it, nail his turn in, get the apex to get the power on and keep that advantage as they head down into turn 10. JDC Motorsport fields that nine car for Scott Andrews and Jerry Kraut. Remember Jerry Kraut kind of dodging a bullet early in the going when we had the issue with Bruce Hamilton down in turn 17. And that car now up in the lead you look at the starting order and the nine cars started dead last in the field and now they sit first four and a half seconds in hand now for scott andrews a great job by both jerry and scott scott's been absolutely magic on the restarts withstanding the pressure from the guys behind him and just kind of leaping away he's played the restarts perfectly and as you said the consistency in his lap times has been stellar for Stephen McAleer in the number 10, he needs to be somewhat defensive. He's trying to hold Matt Bell behind him, but you don't want to throw points away by being too hard-headed. But I think Matt Bell has kept uh, Stephen McAleer from being able to lay down the ultimate lap times and give any kind of pursuit to Scott Andrews up in front. It's all about defending his position that he has right now with just over four minutes to go. Yeah, you're right, uh, because uh, Matt Bell knows he's got a slightly faster car at this stage, but uh, Stephen McAleer is doing everything he needs to do. Last time around, the lap times, a new best lap for Scott Andrews, who leads the race. Uh, Stephen McAleer, he's still compromised somewhat. 59.6 for Stephen McAleer. His best lap was a 59.1, and uh, it's these sort of, kind of defensive lines. He's just he's driving on his mirrors at this stage, isn't he? Just making sure that uh, that Matt, Matthew Bell isn't close enough to make a lunge move like he did a couple of laps ago. Uh, I reckon we've got this lap and then two more before we're going to see the checkered flag. Meanwhile, the uh, Rasmus Lind is closed right up. Now, we saw the, the, the additional problems with the number 40 car. This is a lap down as uh, Steve McAleer runs a bit wide there next to the turn 10. Just going to give a move, an opportunity for Bell into turn 12 certainly thought about it but uh, that mistake again for Matt, for David Grant Rasmus Lind is now right with him in car number six a battle for seventh and eighth position uh, one lap down to the leaders well that was interesting right there a big gap right in there for Matt Bell all of a sudden McAleer just jumped out a little bit I know that Bell had looked to the inside of turn 12 but 
That was a pretty big gap just for that little checkup. I wonder if something else happened. Matt Bell making a couple of mistakes on that last lap. He got down into turn three, locked a brake, then got up on the curb at four. And the gap that's there seems to be getting bigger to me, Jeremy. I wonder if there's something wrong with the 64. Yeah, he certainly slipped back. And uh, yeah, whether he's uh, run a little bit wide uh, and, and caused any damage to that car, I don't know who it is. A problem for number 33 car. Was that, I think this might be... As a result, this car was, along with the number nine, this car was the first car to make its pit stop. Number 33 and number nine both came in on lap 15. Oh. Uh, and now, is he taking on a splash of fuel there? Can we see? Yeah, he yeah. is. And so my question to you is, Jeremy, is Stephen McAleer racing for second? Or is he racing for the win with two minutes to go? How much fuel does Scott Andrews have in the nine? Indeed so. Absolutely right. And he's just turned again. His new, well, not only his best lap of the race, Scott Andrews, the fastest lap of the race, a 58.25 for Scott Andrews. He's way out in front. He's just had a new lap record in these cars. What a great effort by Scott Andrews. He must, he must think he's got enough fuel to get to the end. You know, he's got, a, as we talked about earlier on, he's got a lot of experience in these LMP3 cars, so he knows how to save fuel. Yeah, uh, the, the good news is he had about five or six laps of caution where he was able to just pretty much get off the gas altogether, save as much fuel as he can, and just burn as little fuel as possible. And he and or his team must believe that even with two laps to go, he's got enough to get to the end of this race. And that is bold, closing in on a minute to go. He should see the white flag this time by for Scott Andrews. For Stephen McAleer, he should be fine on fuel. And this last lap for Andrews may be very, very worrisome. Speaking of that, where did the 64 car go? Is dropped well back. Bell has dropped well back of Stephen McAleer as they came through turn 16. Yeah. Um and we'll see whether he, he's got a couple of laps to try and close that up again if there's no problems as a white flag does fly now so just 3.74 miles to go for scott andrews and that jdc motorsports team where is matt bell that's not even him in the shot that's the 33 he's the second car in the shot well back and if he is low on fuel or if he's having some type of a fuel issue then you got to think scott andrews certainly would be worried about the same thing for Stephen McAleer. He is hammered down, and this is going to be interesting. This is going to be interesting nail-biting time here. And Stephen McAleer hammered down. We talked about him racing for second. Well, maybe it's not second after all, but for Andrews, he's not holding anything back. The big lurid slide off the hairpin, Jeremy. He's not saving fuel. No, he's not, is he? It's uh, it's been a remarkable performance by uh, by first of all Jerry Kraut and Scott Andrews starting last uh, and all the way to first place. Uh, we saw it last night in IndyCar race actually. That was kind of cool. But this is a, a great performance by both of these two. Jerry Kraut, hugely experienced, of course, tremendous enthusiast from St. Paul, Minnesota. Scott Andrews, uh, originally from Australia, former. Uh, open wheel champion in F1600 and it's been an absolutely super perfect performance by this pairing uh, today as long as he has enough fuel to go about another what another mile yeah. 
Yeah, it's not over yet. He's got to go through here. The fuel's got to get picked up as he goes through the 15-16 complex, sloshing the fuel left and right now down the back straightaway, using 100% throttle. That's putting as much fuel into the engine as it possibly can. Then he's got to go through turn 17, and if he has a bobble in there, I'm not sure he can get it to the line. It's several hundred yards down the way, but through 17, over the bump, Scott Andrews, Jerry Kraut, last to first at Sebring. Is it going to happen? The checkered flag flies. Yes, it does. They take the win. Stephen McAleer in the number 10. He and Joe Robillard should come across the line in second. We think they had plenty of fuel. Onto the front straightaway, indeed, they come. They go through start finish. And for Matt Bell, he hangs on for third, but a little bit of a nail biter. I don't know if the 64 had a fuel issue or it was some other mechanical issue, but certainly dropping well back. But what a performance, Jeremy, by Scott Andrews. Jerry Kraut started that car last, was aggressive moving it up through the field, and some impressive laps laid down by Andrews there in the closing stages. Yeah, absolutely uh, tremendous performance uh, by that team. This is the first win for both of them in the uh, IMSA Prototype Challenge. Uh, Scott Andrews, he's had a couple of third places coming into this weekend. Jerry Kraut, who's been racing at this and the uh, Prototype Lights before that for, for many years, made his debut back in 2011. He's had one second place finish before. So but for both of these two, a very, very, very well-earned first victory. Yeah, this is going to shake things up in the championship as well. Remember, six races in the IMSA Prototype Challenge Championship. Joel Janko, Jonathan George won at Daytona, and they came in here, had problems. Devine Rao, his co-driver Matt Bell, have a good finish here, so that's going to move them probably to the front. So this is far from over. It only takes one bad weekend in this series with six races to be completely out or have one really good weekend and you may be back in. Great stuff. IMSA Prototype Challenge, round two from Sebring. It is in the books. The next one coming up, Road America. Make sure you don't miss it. The final round will be the three-hour at Petit Le Mans. So what a great, uh, great drive by this pairing. It'll be the number nine of Scott Andrews and Jerry Kraut who take the victory over the number 10 car of Joe Robillard and Stephen McAleer. Matthew Bell and Naveen Rao finish in third position in car number 64 ahead of Dakota Dickerson and Dominic Cicero in fourth, rounding out the top five. The father and son team, Gary and Eric Palmer, doing an excellent job there to finish in the top five with that late pit stop. Uh, is uh, the number 33 car, Bud Grossenbacher and Lance Wilsey. Championship points unofficially. Naveen Rao and Matt Bell will have 62 points heading to the next race. On second place will be Dakota Dickerson on 58. And Joel Janko and Jonathan George, despite their problems today, will be in third position on 55. For Jerry Krause and Scott Andrews, they'll have 35 for the win today. And Joe Robillard and, and Stephen McAleer, they will have 32 for the second place finish. So still a long way to go in this in this championship. Well, some great racing in the Florida sunshine. We weren't sure we were going to get it, but we did. A dry race, an hour and 45 minutes, and we'll do an hour and 45 from Road America for round three. Thanks for joining us. Some great action here at Sebring this weekend. Some heartbreak 
as well. This is IMSA Prototype Challenge, one of the best sports car series in North America. We'll see you at Road America. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.